Welcome to Celebrate Poe, Episode 16, A Set of Poe. My name is George Bartley, and I'm really glad that you've taken time to listen to this podcast. Now, the holidays are a time for telling stories, stories of holidays past and imagining holidays in the future, funny stories, and stories that deal with the human condition. We have Great Britain to thank for the tradition of making ghost stories a part of Christmas, telling horrifying and outrageous stories that delve into our hopes and fears. The holidays can be a rough time for many people, especially this year. So for the next few days, Mr. Poe and I are going to have some very special episodes with some extremely compelling stories from a variety of sources. As a special treat, uh, this podcast will have uh, eight holiday episodes this year. I'm going to try and release them daily for the next few days, not including weekdays. Today's story is A Set of Poe by George Aide, A-D-E. At the end of today's episode, there will be a complete list of dates and episode titles for the eight holiday episodes, and I'll try to keep each episode to approximately 30 minutes or less, so stay tuned. Well, hello, Mr. Poe, my favorite ghost. Greetings, Mr. Bartley, and I'm probably the only ghost you know. Mr. Poe, I guess you can say that's true. Well, I just finished talking about the changes uh, in this podcast episode schedule uh, for the holidays. Today, the episode is about the story, A Set of Poe. A Set of Poe is a charming Christmas story written by George Aide of Indiana involving a man's wish to receive a 10-volume set of works by you. To desire a copy of my works is always a most laudable aspiration. Now, during the first quarter of the 20th century, it is said that George Ade, Booth Tarkington, and James Whitcomb Riley created the golden age of literature in Indiana. And Mr. Poe, you might find this interesting. James Whitcomb Riley, who was also known as the Hoosier poet and children's poet, was born on October the 7th, 1849, exactly the same day that you ended your earthly life in Baltimore. That is most interesting. Mr. Riley said that as a result, he always felt haunted. Mr. James Whitcomb Riley would be a most intriguing subject for a future podcast. Thank you, Mr. Poe. I will definitely do that in the future. And I have some public domain recordings of him reading some of his poetry that I can use. And also, Mr. Poe, speaking of Indiana writers, I also want to do an episode or two on Kurt Vonnegut. He was influenced by you, was from Indianapolis, and uh, there's a cool museum devoted to his life and works in the city. I have read that Mr. Vonnegut is the most popular writer among gentlemen who are trying to make a positive impression upon young ladies in their romantic profiles on the Internet. Such a participant is always asked, who is your favorite writer? Gentlemen inevitably answer, not Shakespeare, not Dickens, not even May, but Kurt Vonnegut. Mr. Poe, I will definitely put down Mr. Vonnegut and Mr. Riley as podcast subjects for the future. But we need to get back to a set of Poe right now. 
let us commence with the story. And, and Mr. Botley, since you are the individual here who would most relate to acquiring a set of my works, why don't you read this story aloud? Are you sure? Of course. I am certainly familiar with the works in question, almost but not quite to the point of tedium. I wrote them. I do believe you are the person who would be most likely to relate to the main character's desire to have an ornate collection of my works in your possession. Besides, you are mortal. I am not. It would be much easier for you to relate. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Poe. So here it goes. A Set of Poe by George Ade. Waterby remarked to his wife, I'm still tempted by that set of Poe I saw in the window today, marked down to $15. Yes, said Mrs. Waterby with a sudden gasp of emotion. Yes, I believe I'll have to get it. I I wouldn't if I were you, Alfred, she said. You have so many books now. I know I have, my dear, but I haven't any set of Poe, and that's what I've been wanting for a long time. This edition I was telling you about is beautifully gotten up. Oh, oh, I wouldn't buy it, Alfred, she repeated, and there was a note of pleading earnestness in her voice. It's so much money to spend for a few books. Well, I know, but... uh, And then he paused for the lack of words to express his mortified surprise. Mr. Waterby had tried to be an indulgent husband. He took a selfish pleasure in giving and found it more blessed than receiving. Every salary day, he turned over to Mrs. Waterby a fixed sum for household expenses. He added to this an allowance for her spending money. He set aside a small amount for his personal expenses and deposited the remainder in the bank. He flattered himself that he approximated the model husband. Mr. Waterby had no costly habits and no prevailing appetite for anything expensive. Like every other man, he had one or two hobbies, and one of his particular hobbies was Edgar Allan Poe. He believed that Poe, of all American writers, was the one unmistakable genius. Mr. Bartley, I certainly agree with that assumption. The word genius has been bandied around the country until it has come to be applied to a long-haired man out of work or a stout lady who writes poetry. In the case of Poe, Mr. Waterby maintained that genius meant one who was not governed by the common mental processes, but one who spoke from inspiration, his mind involuntarily taking superhuman flight into the realm of pure imagination or something of that sort. At any rate, Mr. Waterby liked Poe, and he wanted a set of Poe. He allowed himself not more than one luxury a year, and he determined that this year the luxury should be a set of Poe. Therefore, imagine the hurt to his feelings when his wife objected to his expending $15 for that which he coveted above everything else in the world. And when he went to work that day, he reflected on Mrs. Waterby's conduct. Did she not have her allowance of spending money? Did he ever find fault with her extravagance? Was he an unreasonable husband in asking that he be allowed to spend this small sum for that which would give him many hours of pleasure and which would belong to Mrs. Waterby as much to him? 
He told himself that many a husband would have bought the books without consulting his wife. But he, Waterby, had deferred to his wife in all matters touching family finances. And he said to himself, with a tincture of bitterness in his thoughts, that probably he had put himself into the attitude of a mere dependent. For had she not forbidden him to buy a few books for himself? Well, no, she had not forbidden him, but it amounted to the same thing. She had declared that she was firmly opposed to the purchase of Poe. Mr. Waterby wondered if it were possible that he was just beginning to know his wife. Was she a selfish woman at heart? Was she complacent and good-natured only when she was having her own way? Wouldn't she prove to be an entirely different sort of woman if he should do as many husbands do, spend his income on clubs and cigars and private amusements and give her the pickings of small change? Nothing in Waterby's experience as a married man had so wrenched his sensibilities and disturbed his faith as Mrs. Waterby's objection to the purchase of a set of Poe. There was but one way to account for it. She wanted all the money for herself, or else she wanted him to put it into the bank so that she could come into it after he... But but this was just too monstrous to think about. However, Mrs. Waterby's meanest suspicions and conduct helped to give strength to Mr. Waterby's meanest suspicions. Two or three days after the first conversation, she asked, You didn't buy that set of Poe, did you, Alfred? No, I I didn't buy it, he answered as coldly and with as much hauteur as possible. He hoped to hear her say, Well, why don't you go and get it? I'm sure that you want it, and I'd like to see you buy something for yourself once in a while. That would have shown the spirit of a loving and unselfish wife. But she merely said, That's right, don't buy it. And he was utterly unhappy, for he realized that he had married a woman who did not love him and who simply desired to use him as a pack horse for all household burdens. As soon as Mr. Waterby had learned the horrible truth about his wife, he began to recall little episodes dating back years. And now he pieced them together to convince himself that he was a deeply wronged person. Small all the time and almost unnoticed, they were now accumulating to prove that Mrs. Waterby had no real anxiety for her husband's happiness. Also, Mr. Waterby began to observe her closely, and he believed uh, that uh, he found new evidences of her unworthiness. For one thing, While he was in gloom over his discovery and harassed by doubts of what the future might reveal to him, she was content and even-tempered. The holiday season approached, and Mr. Waterby had made a resolution. He decided that if she would not permit him to spend a little money on himself, he would not buy the customary present for her. Selfishness is a game at which two can play, he said. 
Furthermore, he determined that if she asked him for any extra money for Christmas, he would say, I'm sorry, my dear, but I can't spare any. I'm so hard up that I can't even afford to buy a few books that I've been wanting a long time. Uh, don't you remember that I, uh, that you told me that uh, I couldn't afford to buy that set of Poe? Could anything be more biting as to sarcasm or more crushing as to logic? He rehearsed this speech and had it all ready for her as he pictured to himself her humiliation and surprise at discovering that uh, he had some spirit after all and a considerable say-so whenever money was involved. Unfortunately for his plan, she did not ask for any extra spending money, and so he had to rely on the other mode of punishment. He would withhold the expected Christmas present. He would do this so that she might fully understand his purpose. He would give presents to only his children. It was a harsh measure, he admitted, but perhaps it would teach her to have some consideration for the wisdom and the wishes of others. It must be said that Mr. Waterby was not wholly proud of his revenge when he arose on Christmas morning. He felt that he had accomplished his purpose, and he told himself that his motives had been good and pure, but still he was not satisfied with himself. He went to the dining room, and there on the table in front of his plate was a long paper box containing ten books, each Marked Poe. What's this, he asked, winking slowly, for his mind could not grasp in one moment the fact of his awful shame. I should think you ought to know, Alfred, said Mrs. Waterby, flushed and giggling like a schoolgirl. Oh, it was you. My goodness, you've had me so frightened. That day when you spoke of buying them and I told you not to, I was just sure that you suspected something. I bought them a week before that. Yes, yes, said Mr. Waterby, feeling the salt water in his eyes. At that moment, he had the soul of a wretch being whipped at the stake. I, I, I was determined not to ask you for any money to pay for your own presents, Mrs. Waterby continued. Do you know I had to save for you and the children out of my regular allowance? Why, last week I nearly starved you, and you never noticed, as I was afraid you would. No, I didn't notice it, said Mr. Waterby brokenly, for he was confused and giddy. The self-sacrificing angel, and he had bought no Christmas present for her. It was a fearful situation, and he lied his way out of it. Uh, uh, how did you like your present, he asked. Uh, why, I, I haven't seen it yet, she responded, looking across him at surpri- in surprise. Uh, you haven't? Uh, I told them to send it up yesterday. The children were shouting and laughing over their gifts in the next room, and he felt it his duty to lie for their sake. Well, well don't tell me what it is, interrupted Miss, Mrs. Waterby. Uh, wait till it comes. I think I'll go after it. He did go after it, although he had to drag a jeweler away from his home on Christmas Day and have him open his great safe. The ring which he selected was way beyond his means. It is true, but uh, when a man has to buy back his self-respect, 
The price is never too high. Well, Mr. Poe, how did you like the story? That story was a, a bit sentimental for my personal tastes, but enjoyable nevertheless. And, and I do feel a slight sense of pride in imagining that an individual would prefer a set of my works to, say, Shakespeare or Dickens. Mr. Poe, I thought you might say that. Mr. Bartley, in order to uh, partially satisfy my ever-present curiosity, when was the story written? I believe around 1903 then I find it most interesting that the price of what seemed like a most attractive 10-volume set was only $15 in 1903. Well, Mr. Poe, you have to remember that $15 was a lot of money in 1903. I checked on eBay the other day to see what the price of a 10-volume set of your works from 1903 would bring today, and it was over $2,000. Yes, Mr. Bartley. Most of the time, I barely earned enough to feed my family during my earthly life. So I was most amused when I read in the local library that a copy of Tamerlane, my first book, sold for $662,000 at an auction in 2009. And just three months ago, a brief one-page letter from me begging a Philadelphia editor for $40 sold for over $125,000. It would have been great if you could have shared some of that wealth when you really needed it. Yes, Mr. Bartley, but I cannot obsess regarding such monetary transactions or their possibilities. Excuse me, I must needs take my leave. And farewell, Mr. Bartley. And please remember to visit the podcast website at celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. That's celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com for show notes as well as a transcript of this episode. And uh, check out the cover art for this episode, a painting of George Ade the year he wrote A Set of Poe. And let me end with a complete list of this year's holiday episodes for Celebrate Poe. Wednesday, December the 23rd, episode 16, A Set of Poe. Well, that's the story you've just heard. Then Thursday, December the 24th, episode 17, The Gift of the Magi, O. Henry's classic story about giving. It never gets old. Friday, December the 25th, episode 18, a regular episode of Celebrate Poe. This episode is called Christmas with Poe, uh, and has some of the music we believe Poe and his family enjoyed, and uh, also the Christmas that Poe learned that the love of his life uh, was going to marry another man. Then I will skip the weekend to get ready for Monday, December the 28th, episode 19, The Phantom Coach, part one, which is a gripping tale of the supernatural from England. It's really a good one. And then December the twenty, uh, see December uh, the twenty ninth, uh, episode twenty, the Phantom Coach Part Two. And Wednesday, December the thirtieth, episode twenty one, Dagon by H. P. Lovecraft, a man who said he never wrote a story without thinking of Poe. I'm still trying to figure out what this story means, and I hope I'll have it figured out by the time of the episode. Uh, Thursday. Uh, December the 31st, episode 22, 
The Outsider, also by H.P. Lovecraft. I haven't figured this one out either, but it is a real creepy tale. Uh, This episode ends with some New Year's thoughts. And the final holiday episode is on January the 1st, episode 23. Uh, It's another regular episode of Celebrate Poe with a fascinating look at my hometown, Stanton, Virginia, and some of the occasions the Allens visited Stanton with little Edgar. Edgar. 